So we've been spending much of our time here exploring being aware of our experience. Tonight I'd like to reflect with you about mindfulness from kind of a different perspective in a way. Not in terms of focusing on what we're aware of, but rather on mindfulness itself, investigating mindfulness itself, investigating taking an interest in the coming and going of mindfulness. Mindfulness as a factor of mind sometimes appears, sometimes disappears. We usually call this appearance and disappearance of mindfulness the wandering mind. And so I thought of you know, kind of turning this around you know, rather than exploring how our mind gets lost, I thought, let's explore the factor of mindfulness and how it disappears and how it reappears. We can actually do this. And this exploration, I think, does support us in a kind of a disidentification with the act of mindfulness itself. We often identify with being the one who does mindfulness. And so exploring how mindfulness comes and goes can help to begin to kind of unhook us from the identification with the doing of mindfulness. There's a lot we can learn in this exploration of the how mindfulness appears and disappears. We can learn a lot about how we get hooked, where we get out of balance. We also get a really uh, clear recognition of just how out of control the mind is. You know, we sit down to meditate, we're gonna be mindful. That's what we intend. That's our, that's our intention. I will be mindful. And how long does that last? So the mind wanders. You know, we, we actually have very little control over that. We have a modicum, small, tiny little bit of control when we are mindful. But there's a lot of habits, a lot of conditioning that tends to pull us away. And a lot of that comes in from a kind of a subconscious realm. And so while we are sitting here trying to be mindful, our mind has other ideas about the matter. And then there is, you know, how long we're lost for. We have no say over how long we're going to be gone for. And we have no say about when mindfulness comes back. Mindfulness comes back. Who did that? You didn't decide, oh, I'm going to be mindful now. Mindfulness appears spontaneously. So this uh, 
exploration around the coming and going of mindfulness really helps to point out to us just how out of control our minds are. And this is a pointer to the Buddhist teaching on not-self, this out-of-control nature of experience. The Buddha, in one of his key teachings on not-self, pointed to this aspect of our experience being out of our control as being evidence for their, the understanding or the, the not-self nature of our experience. He said, if consciousness were self, it would be possible to say of consciousness, may my consciousness be thus, may my consciousness not be thus, but consciousness is not self, and so it is not possible to say, may my consciousness be thus, may my consciousness not be thus. Likewise for states of uh, perception, feeling, body, all of the states of mind that we go through. There's some level of choice from time to time that we have, but largely when we look at our minds as we are here, we really get it, that there's not a lot of control. So this is part of this exploration. We really get it. We really start to see the out-of-control, not-self nature of our minds. So this can be unsettling, disturbing, frustrating, confusing. And so I'd like to offer this exploration with a an attitude of compassion, of friendliness, of curiosity, rather than of judgment. What can we learn about our minds? What can we understand about our minds? As I said in the talk on the hindrances, the understanding, not an intellectual understanding, but an understanding that comes through meeting experience and seeing directly our experience. That understanding brings wisdom to our minds, which begins to replace the habitual conditioned patterns of our mind. And so rather than habitually acting out of our conditioned patterns from childhood or um, the, the pattern, the conditionings of greed, aversion, and delusion, our actions begin to be motivated from wisdom. It's still not self. It's still not me or I. And yet, the whole process of the unfolding of our practice as wisdom develops through this direct experience is to move towards the letting go of that conditioning that ties us to suffering. So another aspect of this exploration of exploring mindfulness is also to learn about awareness itself. We'll learn about, we learn as we explore the comings and goings of mindfulness and get interested in 
how the mind pays attention, get interested in the mindfulness itself, we start to learn about not only awareness, but the functioning of the mind, how the mind works. And all of this exploration brings wisdom, brings understanding to the mind, which helps to free us from that, those conditioned tendencies. So the first place this exploration, for me at least in my own experience, the first place this exploration began to unfold, this exploration of looking at mindfulness itself, was it looking at essentially the comings of mindfulness, the times it re-arises. This happens countless times in the day. You know, we are, we're, we're sitting here, our minds wander, and at some point, nothing that we choose to do, but at some point, mindfulness returns. And that moment of mindfulness returning is a really great moment. Not just because we're no longer lost, but because there's a possibility there of beginning to get familiar with what it feels like to be mindful. So this, um, this kind of mindfulness, this re-arising of mindfulness, is one form of mindfulness that happens to us, this kind of spontaneous re-arising of mindfulness. We can call this, the, um, the Abhidhamma calls this unprompted mindfulness. It arises without conscious choice, conscious prompting. It arises without our consciously doing it. It happens spontaneously. The other form of mindfulness is what we typically practice and typically think of as our practice is prompted mindfulness. And this is where we're already mindful and we kind of remind ourselves to be mindful. So that kind of mindfulness is what we're, I think, most familiar with in terms of the feeling of what it means to be mindful. And often that includes a kind of a choice of what we're paying attention to. And I I hope to talk about that a little bit more later. The unprompted mindfulness is arising spontaneously and you know, we're not choosing what the mind is paying attention to there. The mindfulness is just re-arising and it's already paying attention to something. Mindfulness always arises with some experience happening along with it. And in that moment, what we tend to do in that moment is kind of get involved with the thing that we are mindful of. So, you know, we may be walking down the hill to the, di- to the dining hall and maybe a little spaced out, maybe kind of in that more or less mindful place that Joseph describes. Um, and, you know, there's a kind of a rustle on the side of the road. And oh, our attention's drawn to it. And there's a kind of a brief, you know, there's a brief kind of coming out of whatever lostness that we've been in. And... We turn our attention and we maybe get involved with what we've turned our attention to. It's a bullfrog by the side of the road. We get interested in looking at the bullfrog and thinking about bullfrogs. There's been just a little moment of kind of coming back or recognizing or knowing 
experience in a, for a split second, but then we tend to get involved again. And so beginning to cultivate this recognition of that moment of waking up, because actually that kind of moment that I just described, where we're kind of kind of lost and then something happens and we are aroused a little bit out of our lostness, but then kind of get sucked back into whatever we've become aware of. That happens a lot in our day. And as we, um, if we get interested in this experience of mindfulness coming back, interested in the quality of mindfulness, what is it, what is it for mindfulness to return? It's kind of amazing. The, in, in that moment when we go from being lost to being aware. That moment, what I discovered in my own exploration of this, was in that moment, there can be a, a kind of a clearer recognition of what it means to be mindful, what the experience of mindfulness itself is. Because there's a kind of a contrast in that moment between what it was like a few moments ago to be lost in thought and what it's like now to be aware. So the, the, um, the experience of mindfulness itself, the feeling of mindfulness, the quality of mindfulness is highlighted in that moment if we are interested in exploring it, if we're interested in being aware of it. There's a couple of great things about this kind of exploration. The first one is that it begins to create a sense of familiarity for us about the feeling of mindfulness, what it is to be aware. And that very familiarity, it's as if the I mean, what we're, what we're doing there is being mindful of mindfulness, right? It's, we're, we're recognizing the quality of mindfulness itself. So we're getting familiar with that. What does it feel like to be mindful? And that very uh, familiarity begins to help us to see it happening more often. Because that moment of remembering, that moment when mindfulness re-arises, actually happens way more often than we're consciously aware of. As I said, it happens and then we're lost again. It happens for a split second and we're lost again. The more familiar we get with that feeling of mindfulness, the more those moments when mindfulness re-arises spontaneously begin to kind of point themselves out to us because we're familiar with it. And so this, this practice is, um, begins to kind of pull a thread of mindfulness through the uh, non-formal times of practice. There's so many moments of mindfulness coming back like that. Another great part about this exploration is that moment of mindfulness returning is completely effortless doesn't take any work on your part for that moment to happen. And if we can kind of connect to that quality of the effortless 
awareness that's present in that moment, it gives us a pointer to the possibility. It, it kind of shows us a little bit about what it might be like to be mindful without trying so hard. Just in that split second of mindfulness coming back, it's a light, completely effortless moment. Another helpful thing for me, at least, about this practice was that it uh, really helped cut the tendency to judge the fact that my mind wandered. Because, you know, what we often do in that moment, especially in sitting meditation, you know, mindfulness returns, it's like, again, my mind wandered again. (sighs) If we are curious about the re-arising of mindfulness. It's like what I I began to feel is like, wow, it doesn't matter if my mind wanders a hundred times during a sitting, that gives me a hundred opportunities to get a chance to look at that effortless mindfulness. Like just turn it around. (laughs) Rather than being frustrated about the mind getting lost, be interested in exploring the mind coming back, the re-arising of mindfulness. In that moment, you know, just the simple, rec- it's very simple in that moment. The, it, this isn't exactly something to do, or it's, it's not something you can actually say, because in that moment of the spontaneous arising of mindfulness, your mind will do what it's doing. And so it's not exactly an instruction that you can say, do this. Rather, this is a kind of instruction that it's like, put this intention in your mind. You know, just drop in. May I be aware when mindfulness returns? And when mindfulness returns and you find yourself judging yourself, it's like, oh, oh, right, okay, well, here I am. Let's check in what's going on. And just remind yourself, and I'm just going to try again. You know, just let's, let's keep this intention, keep this intention to check into that moment. On one retreat where I began to explore this, you know, I first began to explore this moment of the arising of mindfulness. It's kind of like my mind got curious about how early can I notice the re-arising of mindfulness? And of course that's not something I could do. But that very curiosity began to investigate the, the phenomenon in its own way. So in, in, inclining towards a curiosity is more how this practice will unfold. So in that moment, when you remember, if you remember, it's simply recognizing that you are aware. The first thing, recognize that you are aware. And then just notice what's obvious. You know, awareness is aware of something in that moment. So there's awareness and something that awareness is aware of. Just notice that. And then depending on what practice you're doing, you know, that very awareness of the arising of mindfulness and the knowing of a tickle or the knowing of uh, peace or the knowing of frustration, whatever it is that the mindfulness is arising into, it may simply be that that's enough. You know, the mind has connected back again with experience and you're, you're present. No need to choose an object. And yet if you're doing 
a kind of a concentration practice. Many of you are doing forms of concentration, either with the breath or with metta. In that moment, because you are now aware again, prompted mindfulness is possible. So you can choose. Choose an object if that's appropriate. It's also possible to make this exploration around uh, what it feels like to be mindful. For me, at least, the, the arising of mindfulness was probably the easiest place to get familiar with that feeling of awareness or mindfulness itself. And actually, just one, one note. I'm going prob- to be using the terms mindfulness and awareness synonymously in this talk. Some teachers, you know, we, don't, we don't really... Um, define the term awareness and sometimes teachers use it in different ways and I'm just going to tell you straight out here when I say awareness here I mean mindfulness just to keep the confusion at a minimum (laughs) so when um, you are mindful when awareness is present you can also check in you know what is it like to be aware for me that moment when mindfulness returns was the clearest place to get a sense of that because of the contrast between being lost and being present. But we can also kind of begin to check into this in the moments of just the flow of our awareness, of our mindfulness, whatever we're paying attention to. Right now, do you know that you're aware? If you are alert enough to hear me ask the question, the answer is probably yes. In fact, the answer is yes. You know that you're aware. What it is to be aware can be kind of mysterious. We don't actually really know what it means sometimes. You know, it's not so clear to us. We know that we're aware, but we don't know what awareness is. We don't know what mindfulness is. We don't know the feeling of mindfulness itself. It's kind of like, it's it's an experience that we're so familiar with or it's so close to us, you know, it's so close to just how our minds work that it's kind of like the air we breathe. It's not something that's easy to uh, touch. And yet what I've seen is just that kind of that recognition. Do I know that I'm aware? Yes, I know that I'm aware. That simple recognition, yes, I know that I'm aware, begins to, over time, help us to understand what that experience of awareness itself is. That experience of mindfulness itself. So another part of this exploration, mostly talking here so far about the waking up side of the equation. It's also possible to get curious about where mindfulness gets lost. At one point I was um, in a sitting group and somebody said something like, well, it's not, I don't see how it's possible to to see when mindfulness goes away. It's either there or it's not. And um, in my own exploration of this, I began to see that actually it is possible to recognize where awareness gets lost. So a curiosity about what 
situations, what mind states, how and when awareness gets lost. I'm going to go through some of them now, just an exploration of some of the ways in my own practice I've seen awareness get lost. This isn't, again, this isn't intended as a judgment. No, the, the exploration here isn't to, you know, notice where your mind gets lost and beat yourself up about that. It's notice where your mind gets lost and get interested in it. Get curious about that. So we might lose awareness or tend to, you know, find ourselves losing awareness in particular activities. You know, our yogi job or washing dishes or eating or um, using the toilet or going to our rooms or walking, walking the, um, in the hills as opposed to doing formal walking. So just recognize, just begin to see where, you know, we can have a sense of it, you know, where is mindfulness, where does mindfulness tend to get lost for longer periods of time? And you go into your room and close the door and, you know, the mind kind of goes, phew, okay, don't need to be mindful here. <laughs> so notice that, you know, notice that tendency. On one retreat I found, I found that, well, actually what often tends to happen with this um, exploration of noticing where awareness gets lost, we're not actually seeing the mind going out, Right? You know, we're not seeing the mind leaving the present moment, but what we notice is the mind's come back after a while and we know, oh yeah, you know, I've been in my room now for 10 minutes and haven't been very mindful. You know, so we recognize kind of late in the game. You know, we begin to recognize that kind of late in the game. So on one retreat, I began to recognize that um, I would come back into awareness in the bathroom, staring at myself in the mirror. And um, it's like, wow, how did that happen? (laughs) And this happened repeatedly enough that the awareness would return while I was staring at myself in the mirror. It's like, I didn't even notice that I was, you know, standing at the sink, much less, you know, looking at myself in the mirror. And so I began to get curious about that. You know, just... Where, if you notice an area or a place where mindfulness tends to get lost, you can add a little bit of curiosity. So I was like, you know, know that I was headed into the bathroom. It's like, oh, I'm headed into the bathroom. Maybe I'll see this time where awareness gets lost and go into the bathroom and then find myself staring at myself in the mirror again. (laughs) Okay, missed it again. You know, using a lightness, it's like, wow, look at that, you know. Amazing. Emaho is the word in, you know, the word the, the Tibetans use. Emaho, amazing. <laughs> amazing what the mind does. So, you know, just the curiosity about it. And, it, you know, it took, it took a while for me to, you know, just every time I'd go into the bathroom, you know, it's like, yeah, it's, I see it. maybe I'll see it this time. And at one point, I, d- I was pretty present through being in the bathroom and I was standing at the sink and it's like, oh, I'm standing at the sink. I know I'm standing at the sink. <laughs> and, then, and then I saw the intention to look up at my face. It wasn't like some deep, you know, childhood, 
you know, pattern of needing to be seen or, you know, it was just a habit of looking at myself in the mirror that wasn't seen. You know, it's just... So that, that's another thing I'd like to just, you know, throw out there. Sometimes we put interpretations on our experience. Gosh, if I always get lost when I'm looking at myself in the mirror, it must mean... You know, so just notice the where you get lost and then get curious about how it happens, what happens there. Add a little interest to the exploration. So, you know, not to stop the activity. I mean, certainly I couldn't stop going into the bathroom, you know. Sometimes you might think, you know, oh, if I find myself getting lost taking a walk or, you know, a a walk in the hills, maybe I shouldn't do the walk in the hills. That's not what I'm suggesting here. I'm suggesting you're getting ready to take a walk in the hills. Get curious about how that getting lost happens. How does it happen? Joseph Goldstein talks about um, a story for himself when he would go into the dining hall. He found himself just getting lost. Every time he went into the dining hall, he got lost. And his exploration of that was as soon as he walked into the dining hall, he began recognizing seeing is happening. Seeing is happening. Because he, saw, he noticed, he recognized that what was happening was that his awareness was going out the eye door. That it was the seeing that was pulling him out. And so beginning to just recognize, oh, seeing is happening in this situation. So we can begin to expand the terrain, the field, the places where we are are aware by noticing where we lose awareness. We also might lose awareness in states of body, either pleasant states of body or unpleasant states of body. Those would probably be the two main places we'd lose our awareness. Um, You know, if if the body starts feeling really comfortable and, you know, the, 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 the sensations of sleep in the body... The, f- the pleasant experience that happens as the mind goes to sleep, the mind can get lost in that. You know, so there, there's, you know, the mind can kind of just hook into the pleasantness and lose touch with the awareness of the pleasantness. And so exploring the feeling tone here that Greg was talking about this morning, consciously uh, aware of the pleasant quality or the unpleasant if you are recognizing pain is another place where we tend to get lost. The mind tends to kind of go out. And again, it's not, the point here isn't to force yourself to stay with an experience, like a pain in the knee or a pain in the back, but rather to be curious about what does the mind do when pain is happening? I mean, there's the pain, there's the aversion, and then, you know, poo, the mind is gone. One thing I... um noticed is that a lot of times with pain, my mind had various strategies. I would wake up, for instance, you know, in some kind of fantasy or singing a song in my mind. And in that waking up into that, recognized, wow, in this moment, the mind is not really bothered by the pain. And so I got curious about that. Again, so this is, you know, seeing that the mind had a strategy. You know, sometimes our minds have strategies for how to deal with pain. And rather than trying to force ourselves to just 
hold in and just grip and stay with the pain. Get curious about those strategies. When I began exploring the singing strategy, what I noticed was that, what I began to see was that in the um, singing strategy, the mind had kind of let go of its grip on the pain. It had let go of its, like, this is a problem, this is, this is uh, something that needs to be fixed or controlled or changed. And the mind was just, you know, happily off singing its song. When the mind woke up into that and noticed that uh, the singing and also noticed that it wasn't stuck, like fastened to the pain, it began to understand a little bit about how that unpleasant experience could be there without aversion. This is one of the questions from this morning. How can that unpleasant experience be there without aversion? That strategy of singing was one way to get there it's possible to actually have that um, unpleasant experience arise without that grip. So exploring that back and forth, exploring how the mind would go into that strategy of singing and lose its grip in the re-arising of mindfulness and seeing the uh, lack of the fastening or gripping to the pain, there were a few moments there where there was just the pain and no aversion. And then the aversion arose. The grip arose. So I got to see the grip arising itself. And noticing just the, the, the exploration of that began to lessen the need for the strategy of singing. Because the, the mind could see that the grip would kind of come and go. It, it, the mind could just be present for that. We also might lose awareness in states of mind, particular familiar states of mind. Perhaps boredom, frustration, depression, planning. We all may have our particular strat or particular familiar ways the mind tends to get lost. Really helpful to begin to recognize the particular patterns. I think. Um, Guy talked about this the other day, you know, recognizing the, the, the top ten uh, ways our mind gets lost. Now again, in recognizing those, um, those ways that, that the mind gets lost, the moment that mindfulness comes back into those states, so the mind is wandering off and you wake up recognizing the thought and perhaps the state associated with it, planning or uh, confusion or boredom or maybe peace or ease. Actually, we can get lost in those kinds of states of mind also. So in the moment of waking up into having the mindfulness re-arise into a, a state of mind, again, the familiarity with that state of mind begins to... Uh, kind of like I was talking about with mindfulness, it helps us be familiar with it. On one, at one point, I was exploring early in my practice, one of the main explorations I was doing was around anger. And when I first started exploring this, the mind was pretty angry when it remembered that it was going to be paying attention to anger. So... 
<laughs> you know, the, 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 the mind was pretty much in a rage. <laughs> and, that, you know, at that point it's like, wow, okay, you know, oh, anger, yep, I said I'd be aware of this. Yep, oh boy, unpleasant. <laughs> you know, so it was about that level of awareness. But that, that interest in exploring that pattern, you know, the interest in seeing, you know, this was a way my mind just took off. I would find myself just frozen in anger, unable to even function. So I was curious about this, you know, is there some way that mindfulness can infiltrate this pattern? So just beginning to recognize that pattern, it's kind of like the the recognition of that state of anger. Each time the mind got familiar or woke up recognizing, oh, this is anger, this is what anger feels like, It's like the, I mean, I didn't have to do this. This is just what unfolded. Each time I woke up, I recognized, and over the course of months this happened, each time I woke up, I recognized, you know, the anger isn't as bad. You know, it hadn't spun into rage by now. It's like the the mindfulness was picking up on the anger sooner. And I think this is because of the familiarity uh, that the mind gained with that and also the familiarity that the mind gained of the suffering of that anger. Because the mind really got it. Yep, anger doesn't feel good. So the the arising of awareness into the state of anger, kind of, it backed up. So that I began to see, um, you know, it's just more like normal anger. And then like, oh, waking up into, oh, just the beginnings of anger. And one time actually seeing the inclination towards anger. Seeing the mind want to get angry. That one kind of blew my mind. Why would the mind want to get angry? But seeing that, seeing the mind want to get angry, the the mind saw it wanted to get angry. It also knew, recognized from the months of having paid attention to anger, that way lies suffering. And again, I did not have to do this. The mind just let go of that intention towards anger. So, you know, this exploration of getting familiar with states of mind we get lost in. Just a simple familiarity in a moment. Yep, there it is. There's depression. There's boredom. There's frustration. That simple recognition begins to help the mind see it more quickly, even to the point where it may start to see it arise. And not, then, then, we not, then we may not get lost in the state. We also might lose awareness as our practice deepens. There's a couple different ways this happens, I think. Um, as our mind settles down, becomes more still, more quiet. Sometimes things that we have held at bay through kind of conscious repression or even subconscious repression, it's like the the loosening of the kind of usual structures of our mind 
the ways we hold things in, the mind begins to loosen like that and um, some old, deep patterns can just kind of erupt. It's kind of like they're saying, oh, finally there's some space for me to be seen. Thank you. Uh, so, you know, this, there's, this practice can be an alternation of the, you know, what Michelle McDonald has called a cycle between purity, which is that settling into the space of calm and ease and peace, so the purity of mind, and purification. It's alternation, purity, purification. Purification being the, the kind of the uh, allowing into consciousness or the coming into consciousness of habits, patterns that we've held inside. So, you know, mindfulness, I, I spoke the other day in the metta uh, practice about how metta kind of functions like soap in the washing machine and, uh, you know, the soap draws the dirt to it. So it pulls it out into the water, out of the clothes. Kind of similar with mindfulness practice. This purification part is, it's kind of like the mindfulness is like the soap and pulling to the surface those things that are counter to the purity. Those states of greed, of aversion, confusion. And it pulls it into consciousness. That, that coming into consciousness is where it can be released. It's not a mistake, this alternation between purity and purification. It's actually part of how the practice works. And so, you know, as the mind settles down, you know, we may find suddenly there's an explosion of the mind, you know, going back into something that happened when we were 10 or something, you know, some, some uh, memory that's triggered a whole host of feelings. And so we might get lost in that for a while. And we feel, we feel like, you know, when that kind of thing happens, the purification starts to happen, we sometimes feel like, what did I do wrong? What happened to my beautiful, calm, settled mindfulness? It's just this purity purification cycle. That's, it's just, just a, a sense of knowing that that's the way the practice unfolds really helped me to not be so judgmental about those eruptions. Another way that this uh, mind, the mind can start getting lost as the practice deepens is that um, as the mind settles down into more states of calm, of clarity. Sometimes, and at some point, states arise or experiences arise that are not very familiar. Or experience gets more subtle. 
And it happens. I've seen this pattern. I've seen this pattern quite a bit to the point now where if after a period of the mind being settled, the mind starts to wander, I get curious about it. It's like, wow, you know, it, it often, especially if there's not some emotional stuff going on, you know, that purity purification cycle is pretty easy to recognize because we tend to be in, in story, in strong emotion. This, uh, this kind of, the mind wandering um, as the mind gets more settled, when there's something new happening, something unfamiliar happening, the mind touching into more subtlety, it tends to be that you're just like really present, things are going quite well, and suddenly you wake up 10 minutes later and it's like, wow, where did the mindfulness go? When this first started to happen to me, I thought I was doing something wrong, you know. And then I began to get interested in where is the mindfulness going? So one of the first times this happened to me, I was paying attention to the breath. You know, for a couple days, this was on a three-month course at IMS, for a couple days, the mind had been pretty settled with the breath. Pretty, I'd sit down and be, the mind would be right with the breath. Just right there. And uh, one day, one morning, I sat down, and within like a second, the mind is wandering. It's like, wow, what happened to my mindfulness? And at that point, I began to, that was a point where I was kind of more curious about it rather than judging myself about it. And so I, what I, what I explored was, okay, here I am, I'm mindful. Let's see if I can see where mindfulness gets lost. So the mind was attending to the breath. And as I was being with the breath, I noticed that the sensations of the breath got very, very quiet within the space of like, a breath, one in-breath and an out-breath, the breath almost disappeared. So there wasn't much to pay attention to. And the mind got lost. When I noticed that, you know, when it's like, oh, it's it's the breath is disappearing. You know, the breath is, it's like there's no sensations. It's like the mind was used to paying attention to the sensations. If this is the mind and this is the sensations, you know, the mind was used to paying attention to a particular level of sensation. And then the level of sensation got more subtle. And the mind was still looking up here, you know, not finding it, whoo, wanders out. So, you know, just often that kind of um, settling, you know, as the mind settles, sensations get quieter. There are also sometimes states of mind that begin to happen, uh, different states of mind, unfamiliar states of mind. And likewise, as, as unfamiliar states of mind happen, the mind can, can get lost. So what I'd like to encourage here is a curiosity you know, if, you're, if you have been settled, if your mind has been settled and it suddenly starts to wander, you know, rather than judging it as being something's wrong, I need to try harder. Actually, sometimes I've seen, in that case with the, with the breath, you know, that paying attention to the subtlety of the breath, what I saw was I actually had to not try so hard. It's like the effort to be mindful was in the way of seeing the sensations. So, you know, the, the, you know, the mindfulness, just back off of that intensity of effort. 
Oh, and there's the breath again. So the, the meditation sometimes helps us to see how to deepen. And sometimes that doorway is shown to us through the wandering mind. It's paradoxical, but I've seen that happen so many times now that I want to let you know about it. (laughs) The mind can also um, get lost in states where uh, the mind has the opinion that it's not possible to be mindful in those states. So, you know, low energy, sleep, sloth and torpor, dullness, spacing out, you know, that's like the quintessential, the mind is spaced out, it's now possible to be mindful of that. It is possible to be mindful of spacing out. the way into this kind of exploration again i've seen is the the recognition again it's on the waking up on the rearising of mindfulness it's rearising into some kind of space like staking stake, spacing out and in that moment you kind of recognize oh yeah i'm spaced out and what we typically do there is say come back right come back Again, the arising of mindfulness, the spaced out state. Mindfulness has already arisen connected with that spaced out state. Can you touch into that? Can you be aware of that? Actually, the fact that mindfulness has re-arisen within that spaced out state indicates, yes, it is possible to be aware in that spaced out state. But the view, the opinion that spaced out, not mindful, have to do something. That's our typical approach. We we. We bring our mind to some other object. We bring our mind to the breath, to body. So one time I really began to see this. I was eating breakfast. And I had the agenda while eating breakfast to be mindful of the experience of eating. The movement of the hand, the lifting, the chewing, the swallowing, the tasting, all of that. And I was trying to pay attention to that bringing my attention to that. So that was a directing of the attention, the prompted mindfulness directing the attention to that. And then the mind would space out. I noticed that and brought my attention back to the breakfast. You know, that was, I was doing that. That was my, this is what it means to be mindful here. Pay attention to breakfast. At some point, at some point, I began to see the mind kind of leave the conscious focus on breakfast and move into spaced out. It felt like the mind was kind of hanging out up here somewhere in a buzzing state. And rather, at that point, it was kind of like, oh, the mindfulness is actually aware of that state. Rather than in that moment saying, let me bring myself back to something else. Let's hang out here. Let's see. Let's see what this is like. I'm mindful. This mindfulness is here. Why not? <laughs> so paying attention to that state itself 
there was a recognition that actually the mind was resting. The mind actually needed some rest. And the mindfulness of that state kind of allowed that rest. And within 30 seconds, or a minute or something like that, it didn't take very long, that state ended. And then I was present with whatever else was arising in my experience. So again, the, the, I, t- I mentioned this with the, with the hindrances, but just to reinforce it, if there's any state that you think can't be mindful in this state, question that. If you have enough awareness to know, oh, this state can't be mindful here, there's some mindfulness of it. See if you can kind of push the edges of that, you know, where mindfulness can go. A lot of this talk I'm, I'm exploring, you know, what are the boundaries? What are the edges of where mindfulness can go? And begin to push the edges of that. See, can mindfulness begin to infiltrate the areas where we think it can't go or where it's habitually not arising? We also often seem to think we have to be in a certain state to meditate. That, it, that the mind has to be in a certain kind, I mean, a meditative state. I don't know what your meditative state is. I mean, sometimes we have a, a sense of, uh, you know, I think this comes some from familiarity with certain states that are particularly clear in our mindfulness practice. You know, we, we get a sense of, wow, you know, just seeing the arising of experience so clearly, a really clear sense of presence in a particular way, and we think, that's it. That is what mindfulness is about. That is what I'm looking for. And then we kind of try to recreate it, or we try to find it. That... um, What we can begin to see, what we can begin to recognize is that there's a lot of different ways it can feel when mindfulness is continuous or mindfulness is present. Sometimes sometimes it can feel really clear. Sometimes it can feel like the mind is a kind of uh, broad and vast, taking in a kind of a panoramic experience. Sometimes it can feel like the mind is like really precisely focused on one thing, just right, clear, and then, then that thing disappears and another thing arises and the mind is right there. Sometimes it can feel like there's nothing that the mindfulness, no place there that the mindfulness can land. It just feels like everything's vanishing even as we see it. So many different ways that experience, that, 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 so this is, what this is, is that mindfulness is attuning to different kinds of experiences. And we tend to look for a particular state or a particular way of mindfulness, a particular, a particular kind of experience that we think is mindfulness. And that very looking for 
mindfulness to be a certain way will obscure the way it actually is now. How is it now? I was once um, on a retreat in, in Burma and I was doing some walking meditation and I've been pretty present in the walking meditation but as I walked back to my dorm I noticed my mind trying to put itself in some kind of special meditative state. You know, I'm getting ready to go to my room to sit. And I saw my mind kind of like try to put itself into a, a state in order to meditate in a specific way. And seeing that, it's like, it was almost amusing. It's like, wh- wh- why are you doing that? You know, what's wrong with this state? You know, awareness is here. Let's, let's be with this. So, so I saw that happen several times that kind of, the mind trying to put itself into a state in order to meditate. And what I saw was that it was a subtle repression of thought. That the mind attri- a, 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 you know, attributed or had decided somehow that that space where there wasn't so much thought was a better place to meditate from. So my hope here, primarily, is that you'll be interested, that that this may encourage some interest in exploring the edges of your practice. Where you get lost, how you get lost. And to to not have a sense that this is a problem at all. There's so many different things that we can learn from exploring the places where mindfulness goes and from where mindfulness comes back. It's a huge place of of learning for us. And not only do we learn about our habits of mind, sometimes I call this kind of practice your mind 101. Get familiar with your patterns of mind. So not only do, do we learn about your mind 101, we also begin to get familiar with what maybe we could call the mind 101. The kind of patterns or ways that our minds work. You know, the, the, the ways our minds um, feel things. The conditioned nature of experience. The way it responds to pleasant and unpleasant things that we share as human beings, we also begin to see these, these uh, insights into impermanence, unreliability, and not self. This exploration takes us into that terrain as well. And the understanding the wisdom that grows from that, that is what frees us. We can't free our own minds. It's not a doing that our minds, it's not that we do it. We cultivate the conditions, the learning, the wisdom grows, and the wisdom allows the letting go. So let's sit together for a moment.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.